Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. If you're tight with your mother and she's still around, you call her lately? (laughs) Maybe I'm just projecting my own guilt here, but you might think about it after listening to today's interview. It's from our friends over at 1A at WAMU. And it's with writer Anna Malika Tubbs, who wrote a nonfiction book called The Three Mothers. And it's about the mothers of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and James Baldwin. And yeah, while those three men are fascinating figures of history, Tubbs tells 1A's Jen White how much of their worldview was built by their mothers. So this Martin Luther King Day, we consider how much of the movement he and these other men were instrumental in was the result of what their mothers experienced and how little we know about them. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. This message comes from NPR sponsor Noom. Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, helps you build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. Check out The Noom Kitchen for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. We've all heard of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and James Baldwin. But most of us know very little about the women who raised them. A new book is trying to change that. Anna Malika Tubbs is the author of Three Mothers, How the Mothers of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and James Baldwin Shaped a Nation. And she joins us now to talk about these important women and why knowing their stories matters. Anna, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So how did you start down this path of researching the mothers of Malcolm X, James Baldwin, and Martin Luther King Jr.? I, you know, I started my PhD just wanting to correct the erasure of Black women's lives and Black women's stories. I was incredibly inspired by Hidden Figures by Margot Lee Shetterly, as well as Isabel Wilkerson's The Warmth of Other Sons, and their ability to show us that without understanding the Black American experience, you can't understand the American experience and where we find ourselves in the country today. I decided to focus on mothers because of this further erasure that happens. This role of motherhood is so underappreciated, overlooked, and really deserves more recognition. I decided on these three mothers specifically because the civil rights movement is so often spoken about from the angle of male leaders. Very briefly, just tell us about each of them, starting with the mother of Martin Luther King. Alberta King, she was born in Atlanta to two parents who believed that Faith could not be faith without social justice. And so they led their lives through boycotts and marches. They were some of the first members of the NAACP. They protested until the first black public high school was open in Atlanta. So this is how Berta knew to approach our fight for freedom and our fight for black lives. And that's what she carried with her as she taught her children. And even when she married her husband, he was considered illiterate. He was six years older than her and she had a college degree already. And so she helps him get into Morehouse because the men in her family go to Morehouse. The women in her family go to Spelman. So this is part of MLK Jr.'s maternal lineage, which we've often not spoken about. And when her father passes away, this is how her husband inherits Ebenezer Baptist Church. Mm. So even many in history speak about the fact that Reverend Martin Luther King Sr. gave the church to his son um, and that it was his church. And that is completely wrong. This is Alberta King's family's church. And even her husband knew he could not have become who he was without her. Can you tell us about Burtis Baldwin? 
Burtis was a writer herself. She was born in Deal Island, Maryland, a very small place. Born to tragedy, her mother passed away probably in childbirth or right around the time that Burtis was born. And through this exposure to tragedy early on, she sees the importance of finding light and letting go of pain, letting go of hatred so that you can move forward and cope. She uses her own writing and her talent to help others that she loves to see this and the importance of levity, of confronting darkness, but moving forward. And so James Baldwin directly inherits this writing talent from his mom. Let's turn now to Louise Little, uh, Malcolm X's mother. Who was she? Louise Little was born in Grenada, and she was raised by her grandparents who were liberated slaves, as well as her mother. And so they carry with them the importance of continuing to hold on to our freedom and the importance of celebrating Black independence and Black pride. So when she's 17, she goes to Montreal, Canada to join Marcus Garvey and this Pan-African movement for Black independence and Black freedom and fighting against white assimilation or assimilation to white culture. And then she meets her husband, a fellow activist. Again, in history, we've told the story as if Malcolm X inherits his activism solely from his father. But the truth is that his parents met because they were both freedom fighters, both committed the cause of Black lives and social justice. I want to play a short clip of Malcolm X. This is from 1963, and he's talking about his family being terrorized by the KKK when he was growing up. Despite the fact that that happened in Omaha, and then when we moved to Lansing, Michigan, our home was burned down again. In fact, my father was killed by the Ku Klux Klan. Now, after his father was killed, his mother, Louise, was deemed unfit as a mother by a white doctor and committed to a psychiatric institution for 25 years. Talk us through what happened. Her story has been reduced in history to say, many have even said, quote unquote, that she went crazy. And when you know more of the context that I include in the book and even include the letter that this white male doctor wrote to the state in order to have her committed, you better understand how racism and sexism are playing a role in taking away her rights and sending her away against her will. This white doctor... Uh, examined her and said that she had a change in personality. Yes, she was probably depressed after her husband was murdered, that she uh, he was judging her for the fact that she had another children. And he also says, quote unquote, that she's imagining being discriminated against. And because all of her family and loved ones are her children and they're too young to advocate for her, she is sent to an institution for 25 years of her life and all of her children are taken away from her. When our team was searching for archival sound for this conversation, we noticed pretty quickly that there was hardly anything out there about these mothers. What was the research process like for you trying to piece together a more complete picture with so little information? It was extremely difficult. Each paragraph in the book is almost made up of five different sources. It was like finding a needle in the haystack for every single detail. And their lives were like a puzzle that had been scattered and many of the pieces had been burned or torn apart. And I just focused on doing what I could, really taking their lives from the margins and putting them in the center, and then reapproaching texts and people and scholars in a new way, saying, do you have more on the mothers? And many of those who still have the archives on the men or who are in charge of maintaining these archives had these boxes of letters between the sons and the mothers or the sons saying something about their mothers. It's just that no one had asked to see them before. Well, in 1961, Martin Luther King Jr. spoke to radio reporter Eleanor Fisher about the influence his mother had on him. It seems to me that uh, 
the only thing that the mother can do, the Negro mother, is to try from the beginning to instill in the child a sense of somebodiness. Uh, this was what my mother tried to do. She made it very clear that in spite of these conditions, you are as good as anybody else, and uh, you, you must not feel that you are not. And uh, this was her way of saying you should not have an inferiority complex. What it seems each of these women tried to do was instill this feeling of possibility in, in their children. How did that feed into who their sons ultimately became? We have to think about the fact that for Black mothers in their time as well as now, we have our children, we know they are the most precious beings and they deserve all the opportunities and dignity and respect, just like anybody else does. But we're also aware that they're born into a community, into a society that will treat them as if they are less than that, less than human. And so it's our job to make sure that they know that that is not the natural order of things and that we are participating in changing systems to fit our view of them, and they need to join us in changing that. And all three mothers did that. As you were approaching this book, how important was it for you to really just create a sense of wholeness for these women? You know, apart from being the mother of, of men with prominent roles in history, but that they had they had their own lives. They had their own activism. Um, they had their own personal journeys as well. It was crucial to me because even in the book, there's only two chapters that really focus on the sons. Outside of it, it's entirely about the mothers, their feelings, the context of their history. If they'd never had these famous sons, they still were worthy of being seen. In a conversation with writer Nikki Giovanni that aired in 1974, James Baldwin tried to explain the strain uh, that systemic racism had on his family life. Let's listen. And what my father had to endure to raise nine children on $27.50 a week when he was working. Now, when I was a kid, I didn't know what the man was going through at all. I didn't know why you know, he was always in a rage. I didn't know why he was impossible to live with. Your manhood is being slowly destroyed hour by hour, day by day. Your woman's watching it. You're watching her watch it. You know, here Baldwin is trying to make sense of his stepfather's abuse of him and his mother. You're a sociologist whose work revolves around the erasure of black women. And I, I'm wondering, as you listen to Baldwin there, what do you think of his logic uh, framing you know, black men as the victims of systemic racism and, and really, in this instance, at, as, at least, casting a black woman as more of a, a witness to it rather than someone who also suffers from that systemic racism? Exactly. I think Burtis's ability to continue this notion of light and love and hope and persistence, I think made Baldwin in some ways feel that she had this kind of greater disposition than that his stepfather just didn't have. I think his admiration of her sometimes clouded his ability to see how how much she was carrying on her shoulders alone. It's something that I comment on in the book that no one was protecting the moms. So much of the book, they are the ones that are concerned and they want to take care of their family members. And they say, I'm worried that you're entering this battle, even though I think this is the path for you and this is your calling. It still concerns me. You know, I love you so much. This is, this is hurtful for me. But at no point is there any kind of reversal of that worry and that concern for these three women. 
These mothers all outlived their sons, Um, though we should mention that Alberta King was assassinated while playing the organ at Ebenezer Church several years after her son was. How did their stories as a whole speak to some of the specific trauma faced by many Black mothers raising children in America? It's part of the heartbreak of this story, and I say it from the very beginning of the book, that all three mothers will outlive their sons, and in two of the cases, they will lose two children before they pass away. Part of it is saying, yes, this is awful that we experience so much loss in our community. And secondly, it's also to say that this loss is not inevitable. And it allows us to think about the issues that Black women and Black mothers still face today. But I want the book to inspire us to think about ways in which we can alleviate the burden that Black women are holding on their own. And Alberta King being assassinated is another example of what I was saying earlier, that nobody was looking out for her. Nobody was protecting her. She constantly spoke about worrying about her husband and wanting to protect her husband and wanting to protect her sons. And none of them said, we want to do that for you too, mom, Um, which is the heartbreak of her being assassinated as she played her instrument. That's Anna Malika Tubbs. She's the author of The Three Mothers, How the Mothers of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and James Baldwin Shaped a Nation. Anna, thanks for being here. Thank you, Jen. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly. From charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. In any great story, there's a moment that sparks your curiosity. It tells you there is more to uncover. How, how did this happen? How did we get here? That's where Embedded comes in. We are NPR's home for documentary journalism. Immersive and intimate stories. I was stone cold speechless. Nothing will ever, 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 ever be the same here. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts.